Hello and welcome to It's More Than Money. It's More Than Money is a focus to bring you inspiring stories from real people who strive to improve every day. People who aren't willing to settle for the status quo, they've shaken off any limiting beliefs they might have had and they've just gone after what they really want in life. We'll have all kinds of guests, we'll have business owners, entrepreneurs, masters of the mind, industry game changers and money experts who will all, through their own stories, provide invaluable insights into creating a life you never thought possible. All right, now, hello, Tim Duggan. How are you? Thank you very much for joining us. Hi, I'm great, thank you. How are you? Awesome, awesome, thank you. Having a great, uh, definitely a great week this week. Weather's beautiful. Spent a whole heap of time surfing just a few days ago over the weekend, so that made it even better. (laughs) It feels like spring is here and in the air, which is, it's nice. I think everyone's had a bit of a a crazy winter, Um, so it's quite nice that spring's here. Yeah, I think, and then obviously the COVID thing, we're, we've been a, a little bit more locked down, more than normal in winter. You know, we tend to hibernate a little bit, but even more so, obviously, with COVID. But it seems there's a light at the end of the tunnel and it's all okay for you. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, so I'm, I'm in Sydney and the sun is shining here now and Sydney's, New South Wales is doing pretty extraordinary at the moment. Yeah. I had to keep it down. So I'm really waiting for those borders to open so we can come visit you guys in, in Queensland. <laughs> it's all right, we'll accept you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we'll, we'll, just, we'll just swab you and test you first on your way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, it was funny, just quickly, I was, uh, we were in Coolangatta over the weekend and driving south along the highway, I took the exit that actually looped back into New South Wales and then back up into Coolangatta and I got pulled, went through the checkpoint. I thought, oh, geez, what's all this about? And they pulled me over and they said, you don't have a pass. You've just come from New South Wales. And I thought, no, I've just come down the highway from Sunshine Coast. And so it was a little bit of a, a um, I guess, proof that I wasn't from New South Wales and coming into yeah. Queensland, but they let me go. So it was just a, oh, oh moment. Oops, I should have paid attention to the signs. <laughs> Did they check your boot to make sure you didn't? <laughs> yeah, had a, yeah, had a few refugees from Victoria trying to trying to get in. <laughs> anyway, uh, one of your, I guess, uh, I, I would say standouts is you being the co-founder of Junkie Media. So it's Australia's, well, it looks like Australia's leading millennials digital publisher. So tell me about Junkie, the purpose and the passion there. Yeah, sure. So, so Junkie Media. So we are a publisher for um, young Australians. We, we first started publishing um, about 15 or so years ago, even before Junkie was born. We had a bunch of um, music titles. Uh, and that was back in the day when um, young people weren't even called millennials. Um, we were just called young people um, or, you know, louts. Yeah, um, I was just about to say that, actually, young louts. <laughs> And I must preface this with, I think in the book, um, I actually call myself the world's oldest living millennial. Um, I'm 39 at the very start of when millennials are kind of counted and there's almost as many definitions of millennials as there are yeah. out there. But roughly kind of 1980-ish through to like mid-90s. Um, right, okay. So we, so we publish a, a bunch of websites for, for young people. Um, Junkie is our um, flagship website um, and it is kind of news and pop culture. Um, and we, we launched it because we saw that there was all of these really important issues that young people really cared about. And then yeah, okay. a, um, a media that was kind of giving it to them in their own language um, and talking to them like they were, it was one of their mates. Um, and we then have another title called Punky, which is um, kind of Junkie's cheekier younger sister, yeah. which um, 
um, does a lot more kind of reality TV and, um, you know, a bit more of the fluffy and lighter side of life. Um, and we've got a travel title called AWOL, which we originally started with contests about five years ago. And we now run ourselves. Okay. Um, we've got about 70 staff across those kind of three titles. Um, and it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great little business that was acquired uh, a few years ago by a company called O-Media, which is a, um, a large um, out-of-home company in Australia. Yeah, okay. So it's been about 14 to 15 years and that you've been at the helm and helping create Junkie Media and all the associated channels. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So originally I co-founded a website called Same Same in 2006. I got it yeah, okay. a long time ago um, with um, some of my friends who had already started um, a bunch of websites, in particular one called In The Mix, which is a dance music website. So we met on dance floors in the early 2000s. Um, they started this website and started doing really amazingly. I co-founded um, a website with them in 2006. Um, and then over the years, so that was a very long time ago, not only in, um, in years, but also just on the internet. Yeah. Um, Hasn't um, it? It's been such an exponential growth in technology over, in particular, the last five, maybe even 10, particularly the last five years. Yeah, it really has. And, and so when we, when we launched, um, you know, Facebook was a year or two old. It was kind of over yeah, okay. colleges in the US. Um, and Google had kind of just been started, but Twitter hadn't been started and TikTok and Instagram and all uh, the things that we, you know, are part of our life now. Yeah. None of those existed back then. So it was a, we've kind of really ridden the waves of technology over the last 15 years. Um, and that's been Good, but also bloody hard, to be honest. Yeah, in what way? Just that technology has, the rate at which technology has changed has only increased. So it's just gotten exponential. Um, yeah. As soon as you get used to one form of um, either, you know, our audience finding our content, um, yeah. you get used to one way that, that happens, something comes along that completely usurps that. Um, yeah, okay. So I think about it when we first started, people were going to our websites on a desktop, um, on going to the homepage and then searching around through there. And then all of a sudden mobile phones came along and that shrunk mm. the estate that we had to communicate with people and to sell advertising from this desktop down to a small mobile phone. And then along came social media and all of a sudden people no longer came to our homepage. They went on to Facebook or they went on to Twitter and we had to find our way towards the audience. So there's just been a lot of evolving and a lot of um, yeah. kind of rolling with the punches. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you've, been, uh, you've mentioned it through uh, different bits of information and things that Junkie helps leading global brands like Netflix, American Express and Qantas tell and share their stories. Can you just shed a bit of light on what that looks like and how you've helped? And that yeah. would obviously help build a bit more of a profile and a bit more of an understanding of what Junkie does. Yeah, so we've essentially got two sides of our business. So Junkie Media is the side that um, uh, does the websites, so what I've just spoken about. Yeah. Then we have a, essentially a content agency on the other side called Junkie Studio. Okay. And what we there is that we go and work with a select number of brands and we create all of their social media content for their social channels. Um, okay, right. There's Netflix in Australia. Um, we create all of their social content um, in partnership with them, that that they publish on their Instagram, on their Facebook. Oh, right. So if you go to Netflix's Instagram in Australia, we have a team of of half a dozen people 
who create that content on behalf of Netflix. That's amazing. And I would say that you're young because I'm pretty much the same age as you. So we're going to roll with that, that we're both young. <laughs> Building this business for upwards of 15 years, how, how do you connect with these people? So you, anyone listening could be almost, uh, they could be seen, the Netflix American Express of the world could be seen as untouchable. Or you yourself, you have to be a high ranking or high profile somebody to talk with them. How do you actually connect and get your business to connect with them and then do business with them? How did that sort of work? Yeah, so, so we, we really concentrated on thinking what is our point of difference. Um, there's a million businesses out there who all would love to work with American Express and would love to work with Netflix. Yep. Uh, out of all of those million businesses out there, what we've really done is try to kind of nail down exactly what makes us unique. So why would a Netflix or why would American Express want to work with us? Yep. And in our case, the way that we position it is the way that our media business works is we essentially publish um, thousands of pieces of content every month out into social media. And what we do is we almost treat every single one of them as being a bit like an experiment. So we, we can kind of figure out what the algorithm is doing, what the Facebook algorithm is doing, um, what people are clicking on, what they're not clicking on. And then we take all of those insights and analyze it and then go to brands like American Express and like, and like uh. Netflix and say, this is how you can do the same thing because we've got proof of how we do it on one side of the business. And that's really unique because it means that when a normal agency goes to them and says, hey, American Express, I want to work with you, we can kind of say, well, of course, every brand wants to work with you, but have they actually put their money where their mouth is? And are yeah. they actually experimenting and creating pieces of content already that we're then taking insights that can help these brands? Um, so, you, so you've identified, and the nature of your business is you, you identify a problem, which is for people or businesses to get their content out and not just get their content out broadly, but, but very targeted and specific to the market and the people they're wanting to either help or appeal to. So you've, you've, you've identified the problem, you've gathered data which helps provide a solution and then you can easily show with those two that here's the benefit to you, whatever that business is that you're pitching to. Would that be about it? Awesome summary. Yeah, that, that's exactly cool. it. Um, and and, and we, we just, we realised, and, and I kind of realised this a few years ago, that the best businesses are the ones that have expertise in a real particular area. Um, and so mm. then when a company wants to work with you, then you are that expert in that space. Of course you can lean into other areas, but there's a great quote that I actually have in the book, um, from a guy called Niels Bohr, which is an expert is someone who's made all the mistakes that can be made in one particular area in one narrow field. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. And so that's what we did. So we did narrowed down and we said, right, millennials online, how do you reach millennials online? And then we have spent 15 years making all the mistakes that can be made in that space so that when big brands say, I want to reach millennials online, we right. say, well, we're the expert in that because we've been doing it for so long. So you are, I guess, the poster child, at least maybe even for Australia. And I'm sure, I'm very, very sure, very, very confident there's many more out there. But in this instance, talking to you, you're one of the poster child or children for the pinup boys for mistakes, succeeding from your mistakes. So, you know, the old sayings around, it's only through failure that we grow, something along those lines. So you've actually done that. Oh, okay. I, I, <laughs> I it's actually time. true. It's yeah. not a mythological creature. This is it, proof. 
I can spend an hour telling you about them as some of the mistakes. <laughs> um, you know what? Well, that'd probably be a good thing in some regards because we all fear failure rather than stepping into it. And, and I won't quote this accurately and I apologize for who owns this phrase, so to speak, but it was something along the lines of uh, that a, a lady, a very, very successful lady in this world, her father used to teach her every day to come home and he'd ask about her mistakes during the day. And they'd actually laugh about it and laugh at the mistakes. And through those things and through her life growing up with that conversation at the dinner table every night or every other night, she doesn't have any fear whatsoever of failure. And that's also helped her become this success. So how did, on that note, how did you actually keep moving through those mistakes, potentially those failures and feel that you could keep believing you were going to make an impact and create what you really wanted? Yeah, I think mistakes and failures are amazing in retrospect to look back and be like, oh, that was hilarious. <laughs> Hindsight's uh, perfect, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. you can look back and you can think, you know, that the, that was such a teaching moment. So I learned so much from that. But when you're going through it, it sucks. It does. It really sucks. And you, you don't think, it takes you a while to realise something was a mistake because you, you might mm. keep going with it for as, as long as you want. I'll give you a, like a, an example of a, a big mistake that we made was we tried to launch into the US. Um, so we were an Australian publishing company. Um, we published a website at the time called In The Mix, which was a dance music website, which um, we've folded into our websites now. Yeah. And we saw that in the US, dance music was becoming really big. And so we, you know, had this hubris and said, well, of course, let's expand into the US. And we are, you know, at the time we had 30 staff. Um, you know, we, we didn't have that much money. We're scraping together every cent that we made, we put into the US. So we ended up spending about a million dollars or a million and a half dollars or something like that, which to us as a small to medium sized company at the time was more money than we, you know, than we knew what to do with. But in the US, it, you know, a million dollars does not even touch. <laughs> it's pocket change. Oh God, like you can spend <laughs> that on, you know, on lunches. <laughs> um, and so we we and we went and we kind of um, really focused on the US and then what happened was our Australian business really suffered because, yeah, okay. because we kind of took our eye off the ball and it took us about two years to figure out that that was what, what was happening and we almost lost the company in the process because we kind of got distracted by this potential bigger prize um, so if we if we hadn't have done that I kind of think of what happens if we'd saved that million and a half dollars invested in the Australian company and we could be twice the size that we are today. Um, right. Okay. But do you, do you think um, uh, there's a little bit of a bias there looking back and you say, I should have, and you, I guess, punishing yourself for the mistake. And then you, by doing so, you're saying, well, if we had invested this, we could have been so much further along, but looking back and in all, in all truth, do you see that that mistake taught you so much that actually really did, help develop you into who you are today and the business that you have today? hundred yeah. percent. I, I think the only way of, you know, there's so many different possibilities about what if or what could have happened or what should have happened. Mm. The only way that I can think about that and kind of make, have that make sense is thinking about where we are today and looking at, we are a really successful company. Um, we have great, produce great content. We're part of a, a really great bigger company. I'm really happy with how we've got there. And that was only possible through that kind of like zigzagging path of taking one step forward, two steps back that got us to where we are today. 
So I, I'm, it's, it's hard to look back and, at, at the mistakes and say, I uh, should have done this. Yeah. But the fact that I'm really happy with where we are today and what amazing stuff I've been able to do. And that's only been possible because of all the mistakes we made along the way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that to me, that's a really, really good dovetail into a, a concept of purpose. Now you speak of in particular through uh, your book and how the book has come to be. And the book is called for anyone listening. The book is called Tim. Um, great segue. Um, <laughs> the book is called Cult Status, um, how to build a business that people adore. And that's, it's available from all good bookstores. <laughs> Online also. Online also. I just head to cultstatus.com. <laughs> there you go. Dedicated website, even better. So you, there's a concept in and around, and, and this is only speaking very broadly, that you have sort of focused on uh, businesses. In, you know, through this book, you've interviewed so many different businesses and your focus for those businesses to find those that want to balance profit and purpose. Now, the dovetail or segue, if you put it that way, from what you were just talking about before, purpose. Now, is it, is it the purpose that kept you focused no matter what the mistakes were? And what was your purpose? What inspired you and kept you going? Our purpose was, I'd love to say that we knew what it was at the beginning. Yeah. And but very we, rarely do we ever. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, interestingly, one of the, um, one of the, the key um, steps in my book is kind of thinking about what your impact is before you start something. And that's, that's really easy, I think, to do at a time like in 2020 when purpose is everyone's talking about it and it's so important and maybe right now during COVID also people might have a chance to kind of have a bit of a break and step back from some of that day to day and think about that. But when you start something on the fly and it's kind of with friends and it kind of evolves over time, we didn't really know what our purpose was until about halfway through the journey. Um, yeah. Okay. And that's, that's when we started crystallizing it. Um, and our simplest way was, we wanted to connect young Australians to things that they really cared about the most and things that mattered to them. So that is, that's always been our kind of aim of figuring out what really matters to young Australians and how can we connect them with the, those things that they really care about. And at what stage were you able to identify the impact that you wanted to have? So you found your purpose, which was to connect young people with what really matters what was the impact you were after? Yeah. And so the, so the impact was something that then came a bit later again. Yeah. Um, so, and it's been this kind of journey of finding, finding it out myself, which actually really got me interested in wanting to write this book because okay. I wanted to speak to other business owners who had also figured it out either intentionally or accidentally and kind of find out how they'd done that. Um, yeah. so for us figuring out the impact that probably came about three quarters of the way through the journey. Yeah. Okay. Uh, when we really, I think, knew what the purpose was, and then we started extending that into, okay, what is the actual impact that we want to have? And you know, are you very clear on that now, or has it even changed again since you know you felt like you really established it? Yeah. Well, one of the ideas uh, I kind of talk about is a thing called impact statement, which is um, the idea that almost every business has should have a mission statement and kind of saying what it does. And most businesses don't have an impact statement. And I'm kind of wanting to popularize this idea. Yeah, that really resonates with me a lot more than a mission statement. I think just to, sorry to jump in, one of the, one of the things you've, you've mentioned also is about the, 
you know, the likes of Apple, Nike and Google, they're, they're all created last century. But what are the businesses of this century or next century look like? Mm. So what you're touching on there, to me, a mission statement is, it's, <laughs> it almost sounds, what's the word, um, uh, cheeky, a uh, diva-like. Oh, that's so last century. Mission <laughs> statement. How about we have an impact statement as a new century yeah. business? You know what? I, that, that's, uh, sure. <laughs> In fact, the, the two dovetail into each other. So you actually yeah. can't have an impact statement without a mission statement. But my, my kind of frustration is I think mission statements, it almost feels like people are just ticking a box by, yeah, yeah. by, by doing that because it feels like it's something that everyone learns and you learn in business class or you learn in management school or you just start working at a company and they yeah. tell this is our mission statement. Um, yeah. It feels like it's kind of a bit from the 80s or the 90s. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So last century, Tim. So last century. Yeah. It's quite American. <laughs> as well like what's your mission yeah. um and so an impact statement is essentially you take the mission statement and you add the words so that onto the end of it and it kind of helps bring it to life yeah um, okay I, I talk about the fact that that should be like a living document so it should change you know every time your um, goals or ambitions change your impact statement should change as well um and i know with us every time our audience grew larger our impact statement changes because we wanted to impact more and more people. Um, and so that's, that's something I think is, is really probably the idea that's most resonated with people from the book as well, which I think is, is quite exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Now what, on that very note, what is the impact that if you, you know, if you could sort of put into words, what's the impact you're most proud of? Yeah. So, so mine is, is, is quite a bit of a, it's quite a personal one, which is, I love the fact that at Junkie, we have been able to make people care about things they really care about and then also turn that, um, that into action. Um, so an example of that might be the, you know, the same-sex plebiscite where yeah. our audience, that was probably the most important issue of them for about two years leading up to it. Whether, yeah. whether the audience was gay or straight or um, in between, um, they really cared about that issue. And when that happened, we published hundreds of pieces of content on that. Uh, and we had been doing that for about 10 years before that, before it even kind of became a big issue. And so therefore the impact that that had was we really tried to work with people like Australian Marriage Equality to turn that into action and to really help people, you know, do phone banks at home with their friends and how could they could talk to their grandparents about it and how you could okay. turn that into action. Um, yeah. And that to me, Great impact that I'm super proud of. So, as a genuine desire to support and provide people with resources, tips, or tools that could support them in the challenges they were having in life or the, what they cared about most, they could find a resource that would help them do even more of what they care about most or make more of an, a difference and pursue yeah. a certain avenue or a certain channel that would make that difference that they're really, really genuinely invested in and love doing. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think that I, I genuinely believe that an informed democracy is a better democracy. And so we want our young people to be really informed about these issues. Um, and the other part of the impact that I just really, um, really loved was the fact that uh, the people who come to each of our different websites and they've got a different audience, they're part of a community that, that makes them feel closer and connected to other people. And yeah. I'm a huge believer in kind of that power of, of community um, because everyone really deserves to belong in their own way. And if I can help create a space, whether that's digital or in the real world, 
that people can mm. come together because they all think in the same way and they can meet other people who think that same way. That to me is, is a job well done. And that's a big part of your book, isn't it? Cult, the book Cult Status, just in case someone missed that, any listeners missed that a bit earlier. Cult Status is the book, available in all bookstores and online. Yeah. <laughs> now, a big part of that is that sense of strong community. Now, what have, in all your research in writing the book and interviewing different businesses and also creating your own business in Australia, what have you seen work in businesses to create that sense of strong community? Yeah, so it, it, community doesn't happen by accident. Yeah. It happens because a, a strong um, founder or group of founders or people who all agree with, um, think in the same way, they know what their purpose is, they communicate it strongly with their audience, and then their audience really buys into that, and that's what's yeah. building the community. So people really need to know where you're going and why you're doing what you're doing, and if they believe in that, then you've got the foundations of the community. Um, yeah. The one of the interesting things I looked at was then how you can kind of amplify that. And the simplest way you can do that is you need to create an altar of sorts um, for people to come together to be able to meet other people who also think that same way. Um, up until about 15, 20 years ago, that needed to be a physical thing. So it needed to be a store people go to or a conference. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas now there's the idea of digital altars, digital altars. Um, so people can come into an amazing Facebook group that has other people who think the same way as them and they can meet people, they can um, forge connections and that's how you build a really strong community when everyone has an altar that they can come together and, and worship at the same time. And I imagine during the course of building your business and seeing it in other businesses that you've spoken with and interviewed that your purpose, your impact statement, so to speak, and your culture and your sense of community is not going to appeal to everybody. So there will be people that come and go through your business. Is that something you've definitely experienced? Uh, totally. Yeah. yeah. And my definition of a, of a cult status is a business that has a strong, passionate community around it. And it's not the size of the community that determines no. it has cult status. It's the strength of that bond. Um, and there's different times when... You know, like, let's, let's think of, um, there's a lot of great communities built around um, motherhood and around, you know, when someone becomes a new mum, they might join a Facebook group that is all about new mums. And when you're in those first few years of, of having a child, you are probably very passionate about that community and you're dedicated that community has cult status. And then once your child starts getting up into their older years, you move slightly away from that community and someone else moves into that. And that's yeah. about the strength of that community. It's also it's about the consumer and the life stage that someone is at. And probably importantly to note there that that to me, as you're talking, that's not a change in purpose or impact that someone may want to have. It might be a slight change in audience, but depending on how you dissect the description of the audience. So instead of mothers of newly born children, it would be not mothers of toddlers. Mm. Could, so the, the purpose is still there to serve or be part of a community of mums with children but it's just narrowing it down a little bit more specifically to be more age-based and i guess uh, we find a lot more sense of community when we can relate so if we're able to relate on the same level which is uh, you have a toddler i have a toddler we can share our experiences we can share our pain but we can also share our joys and tips about how we can make it work better is that something you've seen a lot of in business is it, it's not just necessarily fixated but it may morph or if not even add new 
divisions within a business that cater for, I guess, a, a different demographic or a different market, but also maintaining the same purpose. Completely. Yeah, no, yeah. That's, a, that's a really great point. Um, the, one of the steps in my seven steps to building a business with cult status is around leading from the middle. And yeah. the concept of leading from the middle means that you set an overarching vision. So in that case, it might be, you know, you want to support other people who are also going through the same thing. And then you let the community lead you on where they want to go. And you, you kind of so lead from the middle kind of almost means that you're there in the, in the center, but the people around you are saying, Hey, let's, let's kind of go over here. Hey. <laughs> um, and that's freaking scary sometimes. Um, yeah. but also exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And, and how do you, in your experience and also what you've seen to those, uh, or with those, sorry, that uh, we could refer to as successful business owners and therefore successful in creating a, a, a culture and a sense of community in that business. What have you seen, and I guess share with listeners about uh, what keeps people going through that fear? So is it is it really driven by finding that true purpose? And when you do, by virtue, it just maintains your drive. So you have this philosophy of this is my purpose no matter what happens, I'm just going to keep fulfilling it. I'm going to take action that keeps fulfilling that purpose. Yeah. I, th I think with everything changing so quickly and um, as I've mentioned, the, you know, technological changes and audience changes and things like COVID coming in. Yeah. thing that shouldn't change is your purpose. Um, so that, that's kind of, and if that starts changing, you've probably got a different business. You know, yeah. It might be you want to start something else. Yeah. So that's, that's the one thing that kind of shouldn't change, whereas everything else around it, impact statement should change. Yeah. Uh, a part of your mission statement might change. Who your audience is might change. Uh, what yeah. your product or service that you sell should change, but your purpose shouldn't. Yeah, gotcha. And how does finding your true purpose, how, how important is it to identify your superpower, as you put it, in finding your true purpose? Super important. Super important to, to kind of figure out what your superpower is. Um, so that's a concept that is not unique to, to, to my book. It's something that's um, kind of spoken about a lot in terms of business terms. And yeah, it's something that, that there's, a, there's a, both a personal superpower that you have and then there's also a business superpower in terms of what is your business doing that's unique to other businesses. And gotcha. it's something that takes a while. It's not something that you can just figure out, you know, just wake up one day and be like, oh, that's my superpower. It's something that kind of like slowly comes to you. And in the book, there's a couple of exercises that I, that I kind of give people in a section called IRL, um, which is how to kind of figure that out. And yeah. like I know um, I did a, um, an interview uh, a, couple of, a couple of weeks ago and I was speaking to the, to the, um, the host and he was saying that he kind of figured out his superpower he asked me what I thought it was and I kind of, um, I know him, so I gave him some, some thoughts. Yeah. And then he was like, that's so weird because someone else I'd spoken to recently said that exact same phrase and someone else said that. Uh, and when you start, you tune into that, that you can pick up, maybe that's what my superpower is. Yeah. Okay. And then how do you, now you said, oh, I guess that's kind of what that superpower is, but how do you, and through your experience or what you've seen to share with our listeners, how do you know or believe that you've actually identified it 
and then trust in it and, and basically go for it and follow it. Yeah. And, and, and I must point out also that you might have more than one superpower. Yeah. So there's not only one thing that you are good at because it kind of depends on what the, in what area of your life you're talking about. Yeah. Um, so it's like, I'll give you kind of my personal example, which is that it took me a while to figure out what my personal superpower is, but I love building communities yeah. And I love fueling that with stories and with content. And, and what, what does that provide you? Like, it, I just wanted to expand on that. And sorry for jumping in because I just think it was a really, really important point that you love building communities, but the outcome of that for you is, you know, a sense of belonging or, or being a part of it. What, what does it sort of deeper down mean for you? Yeah, I, 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 it's a really good question. And it's something that I've, I've thought about a lot. Um, for me, I, th- I think it comes to me, so I um, came out as gay when I was 19 and I discovered the Sydney gay and lesbian community around then. And up until then, I'd kind of floated a bit between different kind of areas. Yeah. And it was the first time that I'd really properly experienced what a community was and what it felt like. And I felt like I'd yeah. found people and I found friends and I found people like me and I found that all the struggles that I'd gone through to get there weren't unique just to me. Yeah. There was something really powerful about finding a community. And I actually, that experience is why part of the reason that my superpower is that I love building communities is because I want to give that same experience to other people Yeah, where where they can feel like they belong. Mm. Uh, and so Junkie, for example, Junkie is a website for progressive young Australians. Most of, um, the junkies audience is um, kind of pretty left leaning and they're kind of quite progressive. Yeah. And we run events sometimes where we kind of get our audience together. And it's amazing to see people who kind of like meet other people who are like them and they form lifelong friendships and they might go on and start businesses together or they'll go in, become housemates and live in and share yeah. together. And that sense of kind of belonging and of finding someone else who feels the same way that you feel and has been through the same things that you've been through. That's powerful for me. Yeah. And that's really, really cool. And I think that is the, uh, that is the very, very basis of any successful business or any successful individual in any community is that they really find. And when I say, when we're talking about purpose, at least my point of view, there's a lot of um, information gets thrown around about find your life purpose. And that just sounds too monumental. It's, it's sort of down that road of we all have one spiritual truth and we should be doing this and this is our life purpose. But discovering that is incredibly hard. And I think uh, listening to what you're saying, if we're able just to find what makes us feel good mm. and feels like we belong, then by virtue, we'll just we'll have, we'll maintain that motivation to keep pursuing that purpose and on the flip side, though, there might be, you know, a listener that goes, yeah, okay, well, I love fishing. I feel great when I'm fishing and I'm out of my boat. <laughs> but how the hell am I going to make a career out of that? But I think it's important to dig a bit deeper and, and look at, well, what is it that you love about it? Well, it might be that sense of freedom. It might be that sense of uh, alone time with mates or going out with mates and doing the fishing side of things. So in your experiences, how, when you're creating purpose and you're creating impact and I think you've touched on a bit already and identifying your superpower, is it a matter of tuning into what feels good? 
Like, for example, if I go to do gardening, that doesn't feel good. There's no way I'm going to be a gardener or a landscaper. So yeah. <laughs> it's a bit of a telltale sign. Even though there might be a, a gap out there in the market, I'm not going to pursue that or be able to maintain motivation. <laughs> so. Yeah. No, totally. And I think you hit the nail on the head when, when you said, like, think back through to when was the last time when you truly felt great? Yeah. So kind of what, what was that? And if you can kind of now, like, I'm not talking about, you know, the time you went and you had a glass of champagne watching the sunset. I kind of mean like when something that you did felt fulfilling. Yes. Um, and that might be like, it, it could be, I, I, I don't know you kind but it could have been if you um, put, built something, you know, built something in your backyard and you put it together and you felt this amazing sense of satisfaction yeah. with that. Um, and then I think it's, it is about going deeper. Um, so with your fishing analogy, you might find that, when someone goes fishing, they get away from all of their, you know, their responsibilities and their family and friends, and they can just focus on one thing at a time. And then you kind of go deeper into that. And that might be that they really love mindfulness and yeah. they love the ability to just kind of like concentrate on one thing at once. Mm-hmm. And you can think, okay, well, if I really love that, I wonder if I got my mate Tony to also come along and fish and yeah. an experience. And then could I turn that into um, not necessarily fishing, but, could I turn that into an experience where to help other people kind of find that, um, you know, that tranquility in their life? Yeah. And again, another, another segue as you're talking, I'm thinking, okay, well, how would someone, and I think you've been here, how would someone make that transition from, okay, I'll, I might be in this current role, current job or current business. Uh, I truthfully don't love it. If I had $50 million in cash in the bank, and I've actually heard this from people and asked these questions with clients and things, if you know, at $50 million in the bank tonight, what would you be doing with your time? And the answer is very, very rarely turning up to my job on Monday or keeping my business going. Yeah. The, the imagination starts to flow as to what they'd actually be doing with their time instead of the job or the business they're currently running. And what I'm sort of getting to there is that in your experience and what you've seen with these business owners, how do they make the transition from, being so reliant on a paycheck and somewhat feeling trapped by a paycheck or the business they have and transition into what they have identified as their purpose or their passion. What have you seen work in that transition? So, so, so many of the businesses that I spoke to were started on the side. And I yeah, think okay. that's something that is quite heartening because you don't need to give up your paycheck on, on, you know, on, day, on a Friday. It doesn't have to be a huge leap, like a black and white type scenario. Yeah, and, and almost no one did that as well. Out of all yeah. of these businesses, none of them just gave up their job on a Friday and then yeah. they said, okay, now I'm going to start something. Yeah. An example is um, two guys, two twins called Chris and Cam Grant, um, mm. who started a company called Unyoked which was working in kind of high powered jobs, one of them in finance, one of them in Singapore. Yeah. And they loved the outdoors. So they're, you know, they realized that when they went away for weekends away and they went camping, that was when they felt their best. So they were there, you know, they were in the office and they're like, I don't feel amazing. Then they would get out to the great outdoors. So then they decided to build a couple of cabins in the woods and rent them out to people. Um, Yeah. It's called Unyoked um, and they've now got loads of cabins around Australia and they're this like amazing um, experience where you can go completely off grid and have a fire and read a book and just sit there and, and be one with nature. 
Yeah, right. They started doing that on the side. So they're both still working full time and they decided on weekends that they were going to go and find a site and they built the first cabin themselves and then they put it up for rent and people said, oh, this is interesting. I, I like this idea. And they kept on doing that for as long as they could get away with it until they realized, okay, this is a proper business and then made the jump. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's, uh, it's quite, uh, in some regards, it's almost a reassuring point because conversations we have with people that might be employees and they're looking to go out and do their own business. That's exactly how a conversation goes. It's, uh, it comes to a point that, you know, you might be working seven days a week because four to five days a week are with your employer and the weekend is spent in your own business that you want to get up off the ground. And to some extent it's building up, uh, not to get too financially or anything like that, but to some extent it's building up a buffer and building up a pipeline of work, you know, you're pretty good for a month or two months. And then there does come time to sort of make that leap. Unless of course your boss is willing to keep you on it on two or three day basis while, so you, you know, working for an employer, your work days drop down and your business days increase until such times you can just drop the employer altogether. But it's really cool that, what you've discovered and, and then what you've articulated into this book and what's really, really, I think really appealing to me. And I think what's great for our country is, is the focus that you've got on so many real Australian case stories. What's the, uh, you know, instead of the apples and Nikes and Googles of the world, you've, you've uh, spoken about a lot of Australian businesses. What's uh, a couple that come to mind that really stand out for you, their success within Australia. We have so many, yeah, <laughs> I know that was probably a hard one. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's more the fact that we should be celebrating them and, and shouting for them. Yeah. We've got a really interesting um, group of people here who are, who are kind of creating these really fascinating businesses. Um, yeah. so some of those people are um, Zoe Foster-Blake is one of them who um, was a, a former beauty director of, um, kind of Cosmopolitan and Clear magazines. Yeah. Um, and she started a skincare company called GoTo that is particularly amongst young females um, with really natural, easy, simple, fun products that she produces. And she's got about 50, 60 staff now. Yeah, um, right. So she married to Hamish Blake, the comedian. Oh, yeah. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, so Zoe, Zoe's amazing. And, she, and she's also a very non-traditional businesswoman. Yeah. It's a great company. Um, I, I think that's a... A really good point you make there. Sorry you can jump in, but just I'm plucking out these little gold nuggets. But non-traditional, and to me, even personally, I've been guilty of, I guess, looking at, assessing, or trying to follow the more traditional methods of business. And these sorts of stories like you're relaying are really, really inspiring for me because you can see there's not just one way to do business. There's so many different ways. And, and even more so, as time goes by and technology shifts, and our thinking shifts. And you've spoken about millennials bringing a new mode of thinking into the world pretty much. We have so much more opportunity to develop something that is so different to the norm. And I think that's really cool that you mentioned that about Zoe. She's not a traditional business person. And in what way would you sort of put that into a few words? She's not that uh, traditional business person. Yeah, so I actually have a term in the book, which I call an entrepreneur. Ah, right. Which um, is exactly that. And so it is is an entrepreneur who kind of thinks about business differently and they might not even love the term entrepreneur because it's kind of good. Yeah. So That's Zoe, almost becoming cliche. And it kind of is. And Zoe, for example, I was like, do you call yourself an entrepreneur? And she's like, Oh no. Way. <laughs> she called herself a maker or a kind of a creative or something like that. Yeah. Right. So I kind of came up with this term called entrepreneur, 
which is um, kind of encompassing all of these generation of people coming through who just think about business in a different way. They're almost undoing the old rules of business. Yeah, I love that concept. That's cool. Yeah, some other great um, Aussie companies, one called, called Who Gives a Crap. Um, I love that one, yeah. <laughs> they're amazing. Such a great concept. Great concepts um, who kind of do recyclable and sustainable toilet paper. Yeah. Um, give it in subscription to your home so you don't have to worry about um, going to the supermarket to buying it. Um, and obviously during the great toilet paper shortage of 2020, <laughs> they just went through the roof and, and they also donate 50% of their profits to um, helping build um, sanitation projects in developing countries. So last year they made $12 million in profit and donated $6 million and kept $6 million. That's amazing. That's talking about a great example of a company that actually can balance profit and purpose together. Yeah. And what a simple concept. Yeah. And that's something I've seen a lot of through my years of just talking to people like yourself or reading books and watching vlogs and whatever the case may be that it's often the most simplest of concepts that develop the biggest impact. Yeah, I I totally agree. And then so Simon Griffiths is the co-founder of that who I've known for a few years. He kind of jokes that up until they came along, toilet paper was very unsexy. <laughs> it was little- I'm not sure the name makes it any sexier, but the purpose does, that's for sure. <laughs> it was also just very, there was no fun in it. Like it no, was, no, there it was, wasn't. It was a chore that you, of course, you go and you buy your sorbent. <laughs> and it's right. almost a, like a taboo subject in a way. It is, it is. And they made it fun. <laughs> they came in and their boxes are very fun and their whole process and they print um like they print on the wrapping paper so that you can use yeah. things and they do limited edition ones and the kids they release them in the like shape of with toys <laughs> it's almost like the name in itself is the philosophy they, they've adopted in their business like oh who gives a crap let's just go for it yeah very memorable <laughs> um, so yeah there's, that's cool. there's so many great amazing business success stories that too often the tall poppy syndrome might kick in and someone gets yeah. and people look for ways to bring them down. And yeah. I, wanted the opposite. I wanted to celebrate these amazing success stories and build them up because they're so cool. And I think through your book and the nature of your business and your work within the community, I think it's just, it's just the most clearest message of building a sense of community and how well that actually works. And it just keeps snowballing. There's a few on board, then there's a few more, then there's a few hundred, then there's a few thousand. It just keeps going. And it really is, from what I can see uh, through what you've put through in the book and then what you've done yourself, once we start sharing and we don't have that, you know, we're not restrictive or limiting, or we better not share that, that might be stolen from us, they'll take our idea. You've kind of stepped over that ideal entirely and just gone, no, let's just share. Mm. Look what's happened. Look what look what's been created. It's it's amazing. I think unbelievable. And I really, I'm grateful and very very thankful for you sharing your story. Uh, uh, cheers. I've, I've really enjoyed it. And that's one of the one of the best things about the book is I love building communities. And with this book, I feel like it's it's almost like I'm becoming a magnet for people who think the same way that I do. Yeah. And that is people like you and and just. Anyone who's read the book or sent me emails or kind of joined onto my mailing list, it is so cool to kind of see all these people thinking that business can be used for a force for good. Yeah, and for sure. Profit and purpose is not just a marketing buzzword. It actually can be done. And I love kind of just starting to 
build the very basis of a community who all think that same way. Yeah, and I, I really want to add to the, your story that you've told today and be very clear with anyone listening that uh, for me, and I was this came to mind as you were talking because I was chatting to a couple of uh, people yesterday in business and they're in the financial industry. The crux of that conversation was they didn't really feel that they were doing that much that was that valuable to the people that were coming in. And I spoke to them for a few minutes and said, you're really, you're really underestimating your own value. Like you, you're doing a very, very valuable service for these people. And they're involved in tax. So no one loves the topic of tax, but I'm confident that people love the certainty to know that their tax is taken care of and the ATO isn't going to sort of come looking for money from them. So, yeah. you know, it's not just doing someone's tax they're actually providing an incredible amount of peace of mind. It helps people sleep well at night knowing, for example, that their tax is in order or when you're looking at a bigger picture with these particular professionals, that someone's business is in order. There's a lot of sweat, blood and tears in a business, as you well know. And to know that your your accountant or your tax advisor or business advisor is on your side making sure that your I's are dotted and T's are crossed, it's incredibly reassuring. And they sort of lost sight of that. And so I wanted, the reason why I wanted to bring that up is that when we're talking about purpose and having an impact, it's not just about we're building uh, houses for the homeless or we're taking food or we're developing business that distributes food to those who can't afford food. So into third world countries, it's not all about those humanitarian type businesses, is it? It's actually, it's broader than that. It's not. And I think yeah. one, of the, one of the simplest ways of thinking about the value of a business is of thinking about what would happen if you didn't exist. Yeah. If you're providing... Oh, that's a great way of putting it, yeah. Yeah, if you're providing tax solutions to someone and, you know, you are giving them a sense of security, think of what happened if you didn't provide that to that person and then they, you know, they didn't know what their tax obligations were. They started getting fines from the government. They started losing sleep over <laughs> what they owed or didn't owed. They started getting knocks on the door because they haven't paid their tax bill they end up in jail because they are dodging tax. Like there's, there's so many things that could go wrong if a company didn't exist. So yeah. I think it's just a really nice, simple way of, of kind of finding your value is of just imagining what would happen if you didn't actually provide that service to someone. Yeah. Yeah. And give yourself a little bit of a pat on the back. And it's not, as I said, it's not all the humanitarian work. There's a lot more impact purpose and work that goes into helping this world turn and we all, we all share our role and, and I think it's important that we value that role for sure. No, there, there really is. And um, I, I think if anything, that the, the, most professional organisations, what they do is they give people security, they give people safety and they give people options and choices in life. Yeah, absolutely. If Once again, if you didn't have that, then all of a sudden your choices become very limited and you have to wake up every day and go to work because you need to pay your bill that's due that day. And then... Yeah. Whereas a lot of professional services are giving people the choice and the option to be able to spend more time with their family or go on a holiday and make that great memory. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, I think there's a lot of value in that, in that entire space. Yeah, for sure. And, and it's um, and I think as I said, the, what you've spoken about today and what we've been able to uncover, of, you know, really my, my biggest aim today was to obviously talk to you and, and everything that you've created and try and extract from you what's incredibly valuable for listeners and again i thank you for your time and i do just want to finish up with what we call our fast five 
So a little bit of fun in it. And it's to be, the idea is that it's answered sort of impulsively. <laughs> don't necessarily look for the right answer. Yeah. And don't be too concerned, mate. We're not coming out of left field too far here. So <laughs> it's, it's all okay. Conscious here. What's that, sorry? I go too far into my subconscious. Right. <laughs> yeah, if you just drop your head down, close your eyes, yep. Tim. <laughs> See if we can make you carry on like a chicken. All right. Now, first question, what what or who has been your biggest inspiration? My dad. He's oh, cool. He, he started his own business when he was in his 20s or 30s and had really young kids. Yeah. Um, and he's just the the biggest inspiration to me of how he's been able to deal with all the ups and downs of life. He's had cancer six times. Jeez. Uh, and so far fought valiantly against each of them um, and always done it with a smile on his face. Bloody hell, he needs to write a book or a book yeah. written about him. Yeah, totally. Bloody hell. All right. And uh, what's the weirdest thing that you are afraid of? Oh, God. <laughs> um, I do Weirdest thing. Well, like normal, I just, I hate spiders. I just saw one out in my backyard. And I was doing <laughs> you freak know. out. Yeah. I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's weird. Um, no. Um, that's okay. I, no, I'm very weirdly right now. I'm looking, it's not been afraid of, but I'm, I'm in my library and I'm looking at a bunch of books. Um, and I hate, this has not been afraid of, but when people uh, crack the spine, Oh, <laughs> I read a book like this. <laughs> oh, do you? <laughs> yeah. Are we going to run with that one? That's that's yeah. probably a very very small <laughs> slash <laughs> irritation, but we're going to call it a weirdest thing you're afraid of. <laughs> People who crack the spines of a book. Uh, next one: If you had all the money and freedom in the world, what would you be doing with your time? Writing more books. Um, I feel like I'm, I'm doing what I want to be doing, which is um, hopefully traveling soon a bit more and, and writing books and kind of sharing some of the knowledge that I've figured out. And then also trying to get some of that knowledge from lots of different people and make it really accessible to as many people as possible. That's super awesome. Cool. And are you living to your purpose? I am. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really in touch with it and it's something that I think about quite often. Um, especially in the writing process of the book, I had to kind of really interrogate it deeply. Yeah. And it's something that I feel that I'm, yeah, I'm really living and feel connected with. And that, that really gives me a sense of grounding in my life right now. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. And congratulations. Okay. It's, it's, a, it's something that people pursue for their whole life and may never find. Yeah. So that's really cool. Being the young people we are, the age we are, <laughs> it's good you found it so early, so young. <laughs> as, as young adults. Yeah. Pardon? As young louts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Actually, I was, uh, did that, funny enough, well, coincidentally, that actually came up, I think it was yesterday, we were talking about school age and being a kid. I had a teacher that called me a lout mm. in grade five as I walked past and she called me a lout to another teacher and I just bailed. I just walked home from school and they were trying to find me. <laughs> they rang my mother looking for me. I, thought, yeah, I just didn't like it very much. The, the power of words, especially at a young age as well. Yeah, um, exactly. Young people you know, whereas can tune out words like we can when we get older, you start getting a bit more wiser and you, you have a sense of purpose and you know who you are. Therefore, if someone says something, you don't necessarily believe it. But yeah. when you're younger, you don't have, you don't know who you are yet. So if someone says that, yeah, question and can send you into a spiral. That's an interesting way to put it. Yeah, I like that. That sounds quite true. Or what would be your motto for life? 
Oh, God. Um, I have thought about this in the past, um, of what my motto for life is. Yeah. Um, there, I've, I've had several mottos through life. When I was, when I was quite young, someone older than me said to me, um, there's a famous Oscar Wilde quote, which is that you're not young, you're not, I'm not young enough to know, I'm not young enough to know everything. Yeah. Uh, which uh, when I was really young, I didn't quite understand that. And I think the older that I get, I realize that I'm never going to stop learning um, and never going to kind of stop, um, just th never going to stop thinking that I know it all or that I kind of have all the answers because it's, you know, I'm, as I said, 39, I kind of know what I know right now. Yeah. Enough to know that I don't know everything. <laughs> um, Probably always the case. Yeah. And I think that will always be the case. So yeah. I'll never kind of get to that. So I just think it's as long as I just want to live a life of kind of constant learning. That's yeah, cool. Oh, that's really cool. And now uh, let's, let's plug Tim Duggan again, how they find you, your book. Yeah. So the book is called Cult Status. Mm -hmm. um, and the simplest way is if you just go to cultstatus.com, yep. all the details there, um, you can download a, a free workbook, which goes alongside the book. Um, and there's all of, all of the details there and all of my social profiles and stuff at all at cultstatus.com. Cool. All right. Well, Tim, thank you so much for your time. I've thoroughly enjoyed the chat. I hope you have too. Yeah, thanks. I love it. And I'm really confident anyone listening has got a lot of cool stuff out of that. So thank you again. Cool. Thanks, guys. See you, Tim. Thank you for listening to It's More Than Money. This podcast has been recorded and produced at Brisbane Podcasting Centre. Before we go, don't forget to click on the subscribe button for this podcast and wherever you listen to it, give it a rating as well. If you'd like to find out more, you can always go to our website, parentfg.com, or you can find us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Please leave a suggestion for a future topic if you wish. Either way, we'd love to hear from you, so let us know your thoughts. We'll have another episode soon. Thanks for listening to It's More Than Money. Take care. We'll catch you next time.